Welcome to another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me as always is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? I'm doing good, Jody. I'm oh. doing all right. How about yourself? I'm feeling like a champion, almost. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I'm uh, still thinking about the episode we did with Ruben. Oh. Cohen. And yeah, because there was a lot of knowledge that he dropped there, wasn't there? Multiple times, even. Yeah, even that. There was a lot of good stuff there. So if people haven't listened to that, do yourself a favor and go back and listen to that one because there, there's a lot. And you might even want to listen to it several times <laughs> to make sure that you, you don't miss anything. But uh, yeah, that was a good one. It, it was good to talk to him. Yes. It was an awesome yeah. episode. Right. What are we doing today? We are fulfilling a bit of a request from a Roger Lavallee. And we are going to talk a bit about file management for client sessions. Mm. Mm. Okay. Sounds like such a rough subject, doesn't it? Well, it's an important one. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it, it might not be the sexiest one, but it is an important one. And because we, we've done a little bit of talking about backups and stuff, but it is so important, not just for client files and things, obviously, but for oneself as well. And thinking about the subject, we should probably start to talk about how we deal with our files and how we try to stay organized. Yes. Before you even think about, you know, how you deliver them to a client. How do you deal with your session files? Do you have like a certain file folders that you like to stick with or, or how are you dealing with that? The beauty of using Logic Pro is that I can choose whether or not the audio files reside in the logic project or in an actual folder with folder structure format. And being the anal file guy that I am, I go with the folder structure. Yeah. Especially for tracking and keeping track of all audio files recorded during a session. It just makes me feel so much better when I can see those files easily and I don't have to navigate into the package contents of a folder inside a file created by the DAW. And I know there are probably other DAWs that do it like this, like Pro Tools and whatnot. However, Luna does not. And that's my most frustrating aspect to Luna is that Luna ingests every audio file. And then even better, and I say that sarcastically. <laughs> it gives it some arcane long string of numbers and letters. In the file name? In the file name. No, it, that is the file name. It's just like a long stream of letters and numbers. And it has no relation to anything, which is extremely frustrating if you're trying to go delete a file that you don't need in the session. That sounds like a whole nother episode at some point. It is. And it's, <laughs> yeah. but it part in part of staying with being organized, that is really, really terrible organization. That's like my biggest pet peeve to Luna. And I'm sure yeah. there are other DAWs that do it, but. Right. Just to clarify as well, if you are a logic user and you're not going for the folder option when you're saving. It essentially is doing the same thing. You, you yes. just have to open the project file and, and then you have show to go its in content and stuff. Show package yeah. contents. And then I would right. think, and I have not 
studied this and then maybe I should go look right now and make up something. Well, I'm not going to do it while we're doing the podcast, but I would hope that logic treats it the same way that it does its folder files and doesn't give it like Luna's arcane <laughs> string of information instead of a file name that makes sense based on the channel strip that you've recorded it on. I don't know if that's an old school way of thinking where you, because I'm with you. I want to see the folders that are there. I want to see the files. I want them to be named how I like to name things. Yeah. And I just like to have that control. I'm sure some people are just, you know, set it or forget it. It's like, I don't want to deal with that. Just give me the whole project thing and I'm happy. But I am not one of those. I like to see everything because as we might talk about later, I like to delete things and takes where they're no longer needed when I do my backing up. So I just have a very streamlined folder. Yeah, of there is I that need. option. And Logic does have a very beautiful thing of saying archiving or something to that nature where it will trim all audio files to the region length and then it will remove all unnecessary audio files if you want to do that. I don't tend to do that. I used to, but I don't anymore. Yeah, I don't go into that as well, that almost seems like a weapon more than a tool to me. <laughs> it, it's, it can potentially do a lot of damage, I think. And maybe I'm just scared that way. But yeah, I'm afraid of losing files that way or something getting screwed up. So right. I don't do that either. But And part of the reason why I'd like to know the file names is that if I want to go in there and I would like to just edit a particular file, say, in Rx... You right. have to know the file name that you're going after. And in Luna, you can't do that. And it's just so mind-numbingly stupid. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah, so I think moving on from, from that, it's the folder structure that tends to be in there in Logic. And I think it, it's relatively similar for whatever DAW that you're using. It would have a similar function. might be named slightly different. But there's going to be the project, but there's also going to be the folder with the audio files. Right. Yes, and most often just called audio files. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that keeps it simple. What, it's like, hey, what, where am I looking for audio files? In the audio files folder. There you go. And Logic also creates a folder called Bounces, which is you know for exports. It's your mixed on basically. Yeah, it also has now. This is an optional thing, but it has a folder for samples and freeze files. Now those are kind of logic specific in the way that I look at them, but because the way logic freezes files, I rarely do these days. Well, most computers these days have the power to generally run a high density mix or heavy processing. Yeah, the, the heavy session. track count is not such an issue unless you're doing giant orchestral scores type of thing. But back in the day... When computers yes. didn't have that kind of power, you had this neat little function with a little button that looked like a snowflake, and it still does. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you yes. press that yeah. button, you press play, and all of a sudden, logic would take a moment. It would export that particular track to an audio file that it would play back in place of the heavy processing that you needed. Yeah. And do you remember when you could use the nodes as well? You yes, I do. And I had more computers. and Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I never really got into that. But anyway, we're getting off topic. Yes, we are. <laughs> uh, also, with, with Logic, what you can do, if you're using Space Designer, which is the impulse response reverb or the IR loader in Logic, you have the option of 
saving those impulse responses with your project as well. And that's something that's very, very handy. That has happened to me on more than a few occasions where you open up like an older file and you haven't had that option checked. Mm-hmm. Hey, where's this IR? And then or where is this reverb? <laughs> right. And you more often than not have to go, fuck, I don't have that anymore. So, And you better hope you have it archived somewhere else and find it anyway. Either that or you pull up something similar, right? Mm-hmm. Make the reverb work. But a similar file structure for each song is obviously really helpful. And we touched on the IRs there, but obviously for playback and everything, making sure that you have every track saved there. I've seen people that have the workflow that they record to their desktop and it's just like audio, audio, audio. And it just it makes me shake. It's like, it's <laughs> it's the worst way ever. And sometimes people ask me, well, I can't find this file. Right. Well, what did you name it? I don't know. Well, then I can't help you. you yeah, know? It makes it much so, more difficult that way. Yeah. It's not to get up on a pedestal here and talk about, but these sort of workflow enhancements. But if you have these in place when you start, you very rarely run into those issues. Mm-hmm. Good file structure is is good for everything. But other things that you might save with your project after your in your sessions, what, what are some of those that you do? Do you do anything beyond the, the normal sort of recording files or how do you deal with that? I do, but let's talk about it after we get into the concept of how we might set up a folder structure per a client and song. Okay. Okay. To describe what's going on here, when you have a client come in, I have a master folder for the client that is their name or their band mm-hmm. name or their artist name or somebody important to that person that's going to be in charge of taking care of the files. A parent folder, if you will. A parent folder with their name. Then inside that parent folder is going to have folders. If it's going to be an entire album, I'll make a folder that is a parent folder to the songs inside the client folder with the name of the album or at least the project temporary name of whatever we're going to call it. And then inside that, the song folder for per song. Yep. Each song folder is going to have the DAW session for tracking. It's going to have the audio files folder for keeping track of all the raw takes that are recorded. It will have the multi-tracks folder that will get the eventual raw outputs of said recorded tracks as they are final edited, so to speak. Then I will have a folder for any samples that are used. And Mm -hmm. since I'm tracking in Logic, I will have a sampler instruments folder that keeps all the sampler instruments that is used by Logic that go into that folder. I don't. And that's auto generated. That's auto generated. Well, right? yeah. yeah, if you do that. So, yeah. And then I will also have a folder for the impulse responses and if needed, which I haven't needed for a very, very long time, the freeze file folder that will house the frozen files for playback. Yeah. I do a very similar thing. I have kind of just go off of what you just said. I start with the artist or the person name, right? And then if it's a returning client type of thing, I I will still have that, but then name, let's say album number one or album number two, whatever Mm -hmm. those names are, right? And in that, obviously the corresponding files. So everything is contained and easily found in that structure. 
when you go in and you say like the, that would house the multi-tracks and everything as well, that's something that I tend to do as a separate process. Well, yeah, well, it's the process before going to the step of mixing. Yeah. But, but it's a folder that I put there. Right. Other things that are important to remember as well, during that process, obviously, you go, before you go mixing, I know you're really good at printing your virtual instrument tracks. Well, right. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it would only take you, I don't know, 10 or 12 times until you learn how to do that before. Well, but <laughs> when, those when prints you... actually go into the multi-track folder. Yes. Right. And they get the, appropriately the point, named. Yeah, right. The point I wanted to bring up here is that it can be very helpful if you're using a um, third-party synth or virtual instrument to, if you have specific patches that you have used for those sessions, is to make sure you save those patches. Now, that sounds obvious, but it isn't always. No. So you save that, and I would go so far as create a folder in my preset folder that it's under that client and then with the appropriate name. I have one other folder that I just forgot of. What's that? It's a image folder. I will okay. take snapshots with my phone of the hardware used and the settings set. So not only do I type that into the channel strip text information of the channel strip, but I have an image that I will save with the project or the song folder of the actual hardware setup so that I can dial it back up to the same settings by looking at right. a picture. Okay. So you don't go by the old school way of having like recall sheets and doing that. You just take, nope, I got my iPhone. I'm going to take a picture. Of I take a picture, but I make notes in the channel strip right. of the settings. Okay. But having a picture just makes it a lot easier. There you go. All right. So going back to the <laughs> presets. Yes. One thing as a warning or as a heads up for you dear listeners out there, let's just say that I have intimate knowledge of this one. <laughs> and that is if you are a contact user and you make the mistake of just having it in your session and you have who knows how many instances in that contact in your session file, you think, okay, well, that's fine. I'm just going to save that with my session file. Save that as a preset. Now, here's why. When contact upgrades, it might not be backwards compatible. For me, for example, it happened that I had an old project where I was using Contact 5. I had a bunch of instruments set in there. There was damage. There was all sorts of things that I like to use. Going back and trying to open those, Contact 5 doesn't run on a modern system. There's no installers for it. Contact 6 won't recognize what you had in Contact 5. They're not backwards compatible. Damn. If you save a preset, it works fine and dandy. So save that damn preset and you won't have to deal with a headache that I have to deal with. <laughs> so it's one of those lessons that I'd like to pass on. But that's something as well. But if you're doing the process that you mentioned where you're essentially just printing your virtual instruments, that's less of an issue for you when you do in deliverables and stuff. There you go. Yeah. So and it, another issue or less uh -huh. thereof is a word from our sponsors and we're back and we're going to move into the concept that Chris was just kind of diving into there of printing files 
of your virtual instruments and other things. And we'll talk about how we go about doing that. Start us off. Well, with virtual instruments, let's say that it's a contact instrument where I might be using more than one instrument, as mm -hmm. it were. I will not have those as a stereo pair. I, I would make sure I multi all of those out so I get them all separate. So maybe one is housing a percussion track and one is a big Brahms. I don't know, whatever it happens to be, right? I would separate all of those out. Also, another thing that when it comes to printing tracks that I do is with guitar tracks, guitar and bass tracks, mm -hmm. where I will definitely have just the DI track but also sort of printed that might go through the, the emulation so that I have just the tone right there. But then again, as we've talked about when we're recording guitars, having that DI so you can actually have the option of enhancing or completely just replacing that track. And, and that goes the same for bass for me as well. Oh, yeah. Well, it makes good sense, especially if you get into the mix portion of things and you decide, holy cow, this particular sound is not working. We need to modify it. You can go back to the original source, make yeah. the modification, re-export that track, and then bring it back into the mix and hopefully save your butt. That's a good way yeah. of saying it. One of the other things that I'll add on to in terms of printing out your virtual instruments and your emulations of things like guitars and basses and such, I will multi-track out edited finals so that I have a clean track from start to finish. Yeah, you mean as far as like vocals and things. Vocals, and the comp and everything, yes. I will keep all of those files in the original session, but for the multi-track stems or the multi-track files, I will make a clean singular file of all those edits. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm, I'm the same way because why do the same work twice, right? If you have it, the only reason I would save the original files, which obviously I do, is if something is wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Something has happened or you might have to, you want to go with the singer goes, I, I don't like that take the way it's saying that line. Can we do a different take? Uh, you can go back and do that. Right. So it looks to me like I, I'm going to just kind of jump here with the notes that you've written here. You, it looks like you put folders for each instrument group inside your multi-track folder. Is that correct? That's just for a backup thing. When oh, I do that. Yeah. yeah. See, my difference there is that I actually name the channel strips with the header of what group it belongs in. So that when you look at a file list, all guitars are listed together. It yeah. doesn't no, matter I do, what kind I, they are. Yeah, Same no, I do that as well. It, it's essentially just for ease of finding stuff. Mm -hmm. It's all I know. It's a it's a keyboard file. I'll just go into the keyboard folder. That yep. that type of thing, okay. as opposed to just having a long file. It's just just being anal retentive. I, <laughs> they're <laughs> so still you're doing additional folders. See, I I just go with the file name. Makes it easier for me. Yeah. No, I, I just have that in it for at least the way logic works. Mm -hmm. When you go in and create your, you know, your mix template, if you're starting from scratch or whatever, I like to do them. We're just doing by group. So I will start by just, you know, importing all the drums and then I'll do the percussion and mm -hmm. then the bass and, yep. and that kind of thing. And it just makes that process a little bit easier for me anyway. And I like the way it looks there. Well, I there you it. go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's yeah. another folder that I forgot to mention that goes into my 
song folder, so to speak. You're the, you're the world champion of folders and you give me am, crap about having uh, additional folders. <laughs> yes. Well, this folder is called mix folder so yeah. that when you are done with your tracking session and you now are moving on to your mix session, all of my DAW files, whether it be Logic, Pro Tools, Luna, Digital Performer, Cubase, what have you, Studio One, they all reside in the master song folder but the exports will go in different spots. So I will name the mix file, the name of the song file, dash mix with big capital letters on M-I-X. So I am very aware of the fact that that would be my mixing template file where I've done the mixes, where I've imported the multi-tracks into and done the mixes. And then the exports of those goes into a mix folder so that the client can have the raw mixes before they're mastered. Do you do the similar thing there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I end up with the same thing. Obviously, it just goes into the balances folder. But once I do the, when I deliver them, so to speak, mm-hmm. it just mixes. But that could differ a little bit because it's usually, I won't obviously deliver them or deliver the versions that they haven't approved, right? So there I would end up with a final mix. Now, it could be a little bit of a different issue or a different situation if, you have to deliver different versions. Let's say that you're writing for a library or something where there would be full mix and there would be a- Instrumental, a, acapella, vocal up, vocal Exactly, down, all of those homie, things, right? No backgrounds, yes. That's why I have a mix folder for all those different mixes. Right. And I do that for any client. It doesn't matter if they're an artist or not. It's just the way I've set myself to do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean- I, for me, at least, has a lot to do with the relationship with the client. Sometimes mm-hmm. they don't care, and then it's just busy work, right? Hey, here, I've made you a mix with no guitars. Okay, why'd you do that? You know, <laughs> it's, uh, You'll uh, thank me later. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, you know what? Having said that, I have done some stuff for people that they want a file. Well, they do clinics and things. So there would be perhaps a, an instrumental guitar type of a vibe, but then they want a mix that doesn't have the leads on it so that they have a backing track that they can kind of do. And that obviously goes in there as well. So that's pretty much the only thing that I come across unless it's for a library and you go into all the versions that, right. that I just kind of mentioned. Well, in addition to that, within terms of the mix files that we have, once it's gone past the mix stage and it goes to mastering, if I'm doing the mastering, I will add another folder called masters. Yeah. Well, actually I add that folder regardless who does the master, whether it's me or not, but my DAW files that I do the masters with, if I'm doing a masters is the name of the song dash masters. And again, that resides in the main song folder, but the actual mastered outputs go into a folder labeled masters. And inside that, because I am a little bit crazy compared to Ruben, <laughs> is a minus 14 LUFS and a minus 16 LUFS. Right. I, yeah. I'm not quite to the standard of doing one master that rules them all. I still do multiple masters. Okay. Yeah. So basically what the last half hour has been is encouraging people to stay organized, keep everything on the one roof, right? It's almost like a family tree. I, I look at it. You, yes. you know, you have the top one with the artist. If there are different projects, they will have a separate folder underneath that or in that. And then the song files. And then the song files, of course, include all the stuff that we just talked about. So now 
and we're actually starting to get to the meat of Roger's question here. When you're delivering these to a client and consequently after that, mm-hmm. storing them, yes. how do you go about when you give the client the files? Do you tend to give the mix that you've done? Mm-hmm. Do you often give the multi-tracks and do you sometimes even give the mix template of the project that you've actually done the mixing in or how do you usually go about that? I go about telling the client that they need to bring me either a Blu-ray or a thumb drive. It used to be a DVD. Now it is bumped up to Blu-ray or a thumb drive. And the reason for that is, as an example, I just finished a project for a female artist and the final full song folder with all the files for everything that was delivered was 19.28 gigs. That's not going to, for one song. And the reason for that is, is 96 K it was, yeah, it was recorded at 96, okay. 24. So it's obviously like, Jesus, it, it that, that's big. That's right? a lot of fault. Yeah, it is. But it's also, it's got every take that was ever done in the audio files folder. It's got all the different mixes. It's got the masters of multiple masters. And then it's got all the DAW files. So I don't care if somebody decides, Oh, I'm going to take this to somebody else. They're going to have the multi-track folder in there so that if the person can't open logic and they only have pro tools or some other DAW, they can take the multi-tracks of the actual raw tracks and pull that into their DAW and do a remix or whatever it is they want to do. Or if they have logic or Luna, which are the two that I tend to use, they can pull that into either DAW and pull up what I did, exactly what I did, and they can have it. Right. It's not like I'm not being proprietary about it. Yeah. No, I think some people can feel a little bit uneasy about doing that kind of thing. I I can sort of see it both ways. Some would argue that what you do to the mix, that's not really for them to see kind of thing. They just want the last. But, yeah. but it's not like anything. <laughs> it's like trade secrets here, right? Now, well, it might be, wants but to, it, it might be. It's just it, I don't really care. If somebody yeah. wants to study how I did it, that's fine. Yeah, that's very noble of you. I could go either way. I really don't care. That, of course, means that whoever's going to open it up on their end, they would need to have access to the same plugins that I do yeah. for them to really it get does the benefit that, yes. of it. So that's now, one in thing. addition the, to delivering those files, yeah, and this said artist that I was just mentioning had to bring over a thumb drive because they don't have a Blu-ray drive. There's right. no, I, mean, I could archive it on that if I wanted to, but they had a thumb drive. And they were like, well, why is it so huge? And I said, I'm giving you everything involved with your song. <laughs> and in addition to that, they get the master's folder that has all the masters. Beyond doing that for the client, I also have a RAID, which I know you recently picked up as well. Yep. And I back all of that up onto my system of backup, the RAID system that I have. And technically right now, my RAID system is 12 terabytes. And even though I have not put everything I've ever done in my career on it yet, I still have roughly five terabytes left. I know that once I hit the limit of about 10 terabytes, I'm probably going to be upgrading to a bigger RAID. Yeah. So Maybe I should backtrack a little bit and say how I tend to do my deliveries as well. Because I tend to give them essentially two folders, if that's what they ask for. One is the session file with all the the takes and the folder structure that we've been discussing here for the final mix. Right. 
So they can open that up and do whatever they want with it. But I also have those multi-tracks, which are just the raw tracks for all the virtual instruments, for all the recording takes. And these are now clean, right? These are all going to start from zero bar one until the end. Mm -hmm. there, so there's if they use a different DAW, they can just pull them in and do whatever they want to them. If they want to do a remix, if they want to give them to anybody else, whatever. Right. The same thing would be if I were to give them to somebody else to mix, maybe I'm just the tracking engineer or whatever. Right. That would be the same thing. So they would have the session file with the final mixes. If their master's done, they would be in there as well, right? Mm -hmm. But there's two folders, so you have that. Now for the backup purposes here, I do, like you said as well, I have a RAID. I am not of the mindset, I, I think you and I are different like this. You mm -hmm. say that I would, you know, you would, update your RAID so that you can fit more stuff on it. Yep. Right. Yeah. I wouldn't do that. I would, once I'm done with that RAID system, I would probably dump it onto another drive, mm. have it there. Because chances are by that time, I'm not going to revisit it next week. You know what I mean? <laughs> and if I needed to, I would just pop in the other drive as well. Right. Now, these are, at this point anyway, for me, they are spinning old hard drives mm -hmm. because they're cheap for per terabyte type of thing that you get. Of course. Right? I do for those. They're not getting heavy use, so I'm okay with that. Right. And my rate is not getting heavy use. I just tend to keep it all on there. And it's, of course, a RAID 5. Is that what it is? Where it's a mirrored RAID so that both of them are archiving the exact same thing. So it's if one drive goes down, I can replace it and it will rebuild everything back. Yeah, I, I don't remember what RAID system it is. I should know that. But I know I have the same system where there's basically two drives in there and they're just mirrors of each other, mm -hmm. right? So, yes, do that same thing too. The optical drive option is, I feel, going the way of the dodo bird, isn't it? I mean, yeah, to an extent. I still have a bunch of Blu-ray and DVDs that are sitting around that I will not throw away, mainly because they are the very original backups of certain things. Right. But I don't tend to back up to them anymore unless a client asks for them or they're like, well, I don't have any other way. Well, then you're getting a Blu-ray and you'll have to figure out how to get the stuff off. <laughs> but yeah, Or they can um, buy a separate hard drive. I mean, that's another thing is you buy a separate hard drive per project. There's lots of people that do that. Yeah, and especially for backup and archiving purposes because old drives are so cheap now mm -hmm. that bring me a thumb drive like you mentioned or a separate hard drive and you go okay here you go now it's up to you i will keep my those session files in my raid until i really don't need them anymore actually they'll stay in the raid for a while but i will take them off my main recording drive if i've already given the files to the client right so then I can kind of free up that space. And it's it's a little bit like giving birth, I would imagine. Right? You just want to <laughs> get it done and move it out. Something I know that Roger had asked about was cloud storage. Yep. Now, this is something that I was considering at the time I was going down the route of updating my backup. I ended up not going with it. Mm -hmm. I do think that it is it's a nice solution. It can be, Only, but it also depends on how much cloud storage you get and what it costs. And the reason why I say that is, is you just were like, holy cow, 
19 plus gigs. Yeah. <laughs> that's, no, th that's a lot of data to be uploading to a cloud storage. Right. See, that's one of the things. So what you get per dollar for how much memory you get, that might not be super cost effective. Now, the reason why I like it is because it's off-site, mm -hmm. right? So should something happen in your studio, let's say that you have flooding or fire or something horrible like that. Yes. It doesn't matter how many raids you have. They're <laughs> no, burnt to a crisp, you know? <laughs> Put it so, inside a fireproof box. <laughs> right. So that's why I like cloud storage as well as the ability to access that storage if you're at another studio should you need to. Mm -hmm. So I do like that. It's not something that I have actually done, but I do like the idea of that. But I found, for me at the time anyway, it was it was not the most efficient way of doing it. Yeah, and I can't even imagine how long it would take to upload 19 gigs. Yeah, never for mind most people Because most people don't have like fiber on the internet. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. But yeah, that's how I, uh, hopefully we answered Roger's questions there, or at least touch some kind things. of insight some of, of some solutions that are worth to uh, explore, perhaps. Yeah. I think it all starts with at the recording stage where you have to stay organized and just getting that into your workflow. Where it's like you don't. I don't think about how I do things now. It's just it's just part of the workflow. It's just the way it's done. Exactly. Yes. So, um, with that, let's move on to our Friday finds. Yes. What do you got for I'm us? I'm excited. Chris? I got hooked up with something this week that wasn't going to be my Friday find, but now <laughs> it is. Damn it! Oh, it is because. It is. Really tone. Is that how you say that? Reality tone? I think it's really tone or yeah, really tone. <laughs> reality tone. Anyway, really, yeah, reality tone. Nightfall instrument. It's a pre release at this moment of the taping of this. It is a virtual instrument, runs in the contact player or the full version of contact, actually, I believe. It is a sort of hybrid instrument of soundscapey type of orchestral type of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I really like this thing, man. It sounds really, really cool, especially for the stuff that I do. It's really cool. And the ability it has with the mod wheel to blend two voices together. Ooh. I know this is not unique to just this instrument, but the way it's implemented in this is really, really cool. And there's some great creative uses of this. So I, I'm excited about that. Nightfall has to be my Friday find for this week. Sweet. And I know you had several options as well, Jody. So what did you end up going with here? I'm going down the route of a guitar simulation from one of your favorite companies. Oh, is it? Oh, it is. It is Nembrini Audio has come out with the JMP Pro Valve Amp. And if anybody is familiar with the concept of JMP and the notion of guitars, they'd know that that is a Marshall amplifier. And the JMP actually stands for the JMP-1. That was a rack-mounted amp from Marshall. So yep. Nimbrini Audio is now bringing its choice ability to emulate the JMP-1 
to your DAW or plugin host, you use MainStage or some other program of that nature where you can just use your computer as your guitar amplifier, which is what you and I do most of the time. Indeed we do. Yes. The JMP Pro Valve Amplifier is my wow, choice. Wow, you sound so excited. <laughs> yes, as well. You know, I'm trying not to drool all over myself. All right, well, there you go. While we've got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. You'll get weekly reminders about the Tuesday tips when they come out, and we'll make sure that you don't miss any future episodes of the podcast. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com with the phrase file management, and you'll get something cool back in your inbox, just like Roger just did. If you have a topic or suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. And with that, I'll say see you next week. Have a good one, Jody. Thanks for listening, people.